Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Gwen Cooper joins us to talk about how psychological safety building trust remotely, and other leadership 2.0 strategies helped rescue Afghanistan refugees and how high-performance leadership was the key to making it happen. It's an incredible story, and obviously it's pressure-packed with literally lives on the line, and it's an incredible amount of pressure. We can take so much from this episode about how rescuing hostages and those leadership lessons can apply to our business. So definitely think about what did we learn and how can we apply it to create an incredible team environment at your business. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders who turn their teams into high, happy high performers that achieve their goals. If that's something you're interested, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for the best research-backed high-performance leadership strategies that will make it happen for you. If you haven't yet, Please subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and share it with any leaders in your life. Thank you so much for listening and check out this incredible interview with Gwen Cooper. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski and as always, the ying to my yang, the maverick, Susan Hobson. Susan, how are you? I am fabulous. I'm feeling so much better. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm also so fired up because we have one of our favorite guests back on the show today. Absolutely. Susan's wearing pink today for folks who are listening. So she's out of the darkness like last time. (laughs) Um, No more Oakland Raiders. (laughs) That's right. And... Before we get rolling, obviously, we want to start off with a quote, but last time we left off with the proud challenge. So I, know. I want to hear more about folks who are doing that. So yeah. let me know how that goes. Send me an email or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. And I want to start off today with a quote from the Dalai Lama. Ooh. And he says, with realizations of one's own potential and self-confidence in one's ability, one can build a better world. Oh, lofty. Yeah. Nice. So of course he brings the the wisdom. (laughs) I I love that it doesn't begin and end with just us and our own development. Exactly. Oh and gosh, for I some of that. you folks out there, you'll recognize that voice coming back to the show. <laughs> our leadership expert and former CIA agent, Gwen Cooper. Gwen, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. And it's so great to be back. It's it's lovely. It's really, really lovely. We, we love to have you back. And you've had a lot of stuff on the go since last time you were on the show. Yeah, unexpected stuff. 
Interesting. It's always keep it interesting. Yeah. Seems to fit the theme of the last two years, Gwen, eh? Yeah, really. Exactly. It's like, yeah, expect the unexpected. And so that's where we want to Yeah, and that's where we wanted to go with you today, Gwen. Yeah. You were telling us a story about how you were helping Afghani refugees leave the country and how psychological safety, which is one of the pillars of the things we talk about, helped you do that. Do you want to tell us what was going on? Yeah, the perfect story to be sharing with you here and from the lens of psychological safety. So when I I think a lot about the work of Amy Edmondson and, and Timothy Clark and and I last last summer. So if you remember, I mean, we, we've got a real refu- a global refugee crisis yeah. on hands, mm-hmm. um, with it, especially now with the Ukraine Ukrainian refugees on the forefront. But mm-hmm. um, last summer is when. Uh, um, Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. And my my first job at the at the agency when I was in the CIA in the clandestine service was that of, of a reports officer. So a reports officer is somebody who receives raw intelligence from the field. So it's it's directly from the the officers in the field who have gotten it from our assets and they send it to us. And, and my job was to figure out uh, and protect the sources, um, to figure out if the source of what what access the sources really had, and how valid is this information, and what might their motivations be for sending it? How does it track with other things we hear? So that was my first foray into um, insights into Afghanistan and the people, and and understanding a little bit more about the culture and the history of it. And uh, so that was, uh, that was 1998. So that was my, like my foundation and understanding and learning about Afghanistan. So fast, fast forward to um, last summer, uh, this was all going on. And since uh, 2017, I've been volunteering with a refugee and immigrant transitions organization out of San Francisco and Oakland. And I specifically have been supporting a family uh, who moved here in 2017, who was uh, the husband is a, was a translator. And so that really came to the fore when when the uh, Afghan when Kabul was falling and Afghanistan was falling because there were so many of those translators and so many of those folks who helped the coalition forces, the U.S. military, Canadians, others, um, and we wanted to get them out because they wouldn't be safe anymore. So he was able to get out in 2017, move to the San Francisco Oakland area, and I signed up to help out and. So basically helping tutor his wife in English, get her a little more comfortable with the culture, um, help them with financial literacy, because that's a huge gap in understanding how finances right. work. And uh, so I've been working and, and friends with them now since 2017. So they since they've been here in the States, they've had um, two little girls. And last summer, she went home she flew back to Kabul so her family could spend time with the grandchildren and, and her children. And so nobody imagined that, that Kabul was going to fall that quickly. 
And so nobody, there was going to be a transition of power, but nobody realized how quickly it was going to happen. And so by late July, I'm thinking, I'm watching how this is progressing and going, uh, when is her return flight? Right. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until early September. And then they tried to move it up, but everybody's trying to get out. So now she could only move it up to August 28th. And I thought, she's not going to make it. And she didn't. The couple fell on the 15th. And so I sat and I thought, what, what can I do? What can I do? So it's like calling, the, calling and engaging with the State Department and going up through those channels. And everybody's doing that. So they're inundated and senators and house representatives are trying to help. So I was working with them. And, and then I just, we, we just weren't making any progress at all. Um, and then I, I, <laughs> I remember sitting on my couch, going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I thought, I'm going to stop acting like I don't have connections at the CIA for starters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that chapter of my professional life. So, I mean, I think for me, the lesson there is always I, is don't underestimate your network. And it's like people go, yeah, I don't know anybody in the CIA. It's like, well, luckily, we don't usually need people in the CIA. But I think it's very easy for leaders to not. I mean, and I fell into this trap not asking for help. We see that so much, right? right, Rob? And I was doing it, and I know better. I coach people on this, and I was falling into that exact trap. I need right. to do something. I need to fix this. Like, right, right. I can't do it by myself. Not right. even close. Right. Uh, so where, where it came into the, the psychological safety was that I, I reached out to somebody, um, and somebody I didn't know. I mean, a very, I would consider a weak tie. It was somebody I didn't know in the agency there was somebody I, I ended up connecting with after I got out and after he retired um, via LinkedIn. Wow. And I, and I thought, you know, he's still, he retired not that long ago and he's probably still pretty connected to people because a lot of the folks I know left or, I mean, more than five years ago. And I just thought, I don't, I don't know who's like an insider. And um, so I, I contacted him and I said, Hey, you know, we, I was at a webinar you were on and we chatted very briefly afterwards. And I just want to check in with you. This is my situation. This is what's going on. I don't know if you know anybody who could help. And it's like, let me get back to you. It's like, boom, he was on it. <laughs> oh, and then, Yeah. And then, he, then he's like, okay, I've got some people to connect you with. And I've um, got a group of people who are trying to help. So at that point, like there was just kind of this all hands on deck, anybody who, was even tangentially um, connected to the agency, the military. I mean, there were civilians. Everybody was like trying to figure out how to help and get people out. And it was this mm -hmm. really beautiful effort. When I think about psychological safety, I think of, about that very basic step of in Timothy Clark's model of inclusion safety mm -hmm. and that there's, there's automatic acceptance that everybody coming has value. Um, the members have a shared identity and purpose. And, and then you have indications of acceptance from people. Like the minute I said, and, it, it, and for me, it's like, I had this idea. I was like, well, I haven't been in the agency for 10 years. So, and they're like, no, you're in the agency. You've got, you've got a skill set. We could use it. 
I was like, well, I'm just trying to get my friends some help. <laughs> like I, again, I was underestimating what I was bringing to the table, which is another lesson. Yes, um, totally. Yeah, and then the, there were people like there were people all all in, and so the minute he put me in touch with um, some folks, and they put together documentation and they moved it forward and they went through the channel. So there are people who are still inside and people who are outside, but it didn't matter because it was all about what's the skill set and what, how can people come together and be of service? Wow. Yeah. And wow, so it was wow, wow. amazing inclusion. And then it was the, the, the learner safety because then we're, we're various teams and people don't know what each other's backgrounds are and so it was, it was okay to say, well, here's, here's what I know. Here's how I see it. How do you see it? It was okay for people to say what they didn't know because there was so much about this situation that was unknown. And when I, th- I also think about the, the Kinevin model, C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. I've never heard of that. What is that? Yeah, a Kinevin model. C-Y-N-E-F-I-N, but it's not, it's Welsh and it's pronounced Kinevin and I'm not a Welsh expert. I just know that much. <laughs> it's a, it's a model of um, complexity from Dave Snowden. And then the Kinevin model, it looks at different types of complexity and, and how leaders manage in different, when there's different types of complexity. Hmm. In this model, for his model, there are four. There's the simple, the complicated, the complex, and the chaotic. Mm. And so we were finding ourselves not only in this, this psychological safety of how to, how to build and, and move up with our psychological safety, mm-hmm. but we're also overlaying that in a chaotic environment. Mm. And in a chaotic environment where you... It's unpredictable. The cause and effect aren't really clear. Right. Um, your your best practices may or may not have any impact or influence on on how you make decisions. Now, you have to try to stabilize things and then figure out what to do. So there there was that going on at the same time. We're trying to build this safety in the team, uh, and so the learner safety was that we're not, none of us were spectators. We were all actively engaged in trying to do something. And we didn't have much of a choice. It was like, it was all hands on deck. And so we had to experiment and everybody knew that. And everybody recognized that we may not be successful. And in fact, the odds were very, very slim that we could be successful in getting anybody out, but we were going to give it our best. Mm-hmm. So there was this understanding, like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get wrapped up in the fear of failure, but we kept very optimistic about the hope of success. You would have to, right? Yeah, and it was it was something that it's it's really hard to replicate in organizations. Why? Yeah, right. And I've been thinking about this exact thing. I think Mm -hmm. it's for us, it was like we're going to the idea that we wouldn't save people's lives or there are people whose lives would be lost is pretty serious 
consequences. Absolutely. But somehow we, and I fall into this category, we as humans get a little more wrapped up in the day-to-day failures mm-hmm. or shortcomings. And I think it's identity. It's, it's, it's a lot of fear about identity and uh, our, our livelihood, our sense of self. It's, it's, a, it's a lack of safety to take these types of risks in, 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 in an organization that we're part of all the time. Right. Yeah. And it's something about it being a one-time play that you guys were all coming together to make happen that made that possible. It feels that way. Mm -hmm. It feels that way. There was just a, a lack of judgment. And I think it was the, I think a huge part of it was the purpose. It was something so much bigger than ourselves the idea that we would put ourselves, our own egos in the way was just mm-hmm. unthinkable. In those conditions, right? Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a great view of how do we get more of that in organizations? How do we help liberate us as humans from ourselves? And what are the, the factors in organizations that allow us to do that? What might be holding us back? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, part of what I, I always think about are what are the performance measures in place and how do they create competition versus collaboration? Mm-hmm. That's a big one, right? It's a huge one. Because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. even when I think back to working in the agency, although we had to work as teams and we had to collaborate to make operations work, people were assessed on their personal performance. And so it became a very uh, competitive organization internally. So I wonder if what would happen if you assess the performance based on the special teams, right? Ability to collaborate and work together and right towards that common goal. I wonder what would happen if you changed the way that you were assessing that. I wonder if that would... I think it's so powerful because if you can't feel safe to learn things and you're not, you're never going to, a person is never going to admit what they don't know, which Mm -hmm. is really dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the model of psychological safety and where it goes after learner safety, it's contributor safety. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't feel safe learning, I'm probably not going to feel safe daring to share things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm going to be the last person. Here's a wacky idea. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> Which means in organizations that the final contributor safety is challenger safety. This is where we get to innovation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, right. And it's in, in what companies need the most. And they're not setting it up to get there. And I suppose, did you feel like you needed to innovate because obviously the regular channels weren't going to work. Exactly right. That was it. Like we were all in it together going, okay, well, it's not as if, I mean, there are, there's training and there are playbooks for special ops, but they call them special for a reason. Cause everyone is <laughs> rare. Different. It's like right. regular ops, <laughs> same old op. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the same old ops team. Like, oh, 
Sounds boring. <laughs> I feel like this is this is such an important space for us to be in. You know, we were just talking off the mic before we jump back in in terms of all this unexpected stuff that's been showing up for you, right? Yeah. In your yeah. lane, but that's been the theme over this disruption in the pandemic, right? Absolutely. Over the last two years. So I feel like this is ripe space that we really got to be playing in. And it's so fascinating that you're bringing all this to the table today, because I've been really hitting that hard with, with my leadership teams. I've been putting all the emphasis this year on the team and the team performance. And, you know, this is a page out of the playbook of being an athlete, right? It's like, we totally, we experientially, we understand how powerful that can be that collective right? Going after that thing bigger than just you yourself. But in corporate, I feel like we haven't quite caught up to that yet. No, no, we haven't. And I'm still optimistic. I, I, yeah, I'm still optimistic because I think anytime we have a significant change in an environment, it, it's difficult. It's been super challenging. It's been painful, but it also causes us to reassess and that's Mm -hmm. what makes me optimistic. And I feel like where we've landed is a lot more human connection is needed. And that was my arena. Um, Even though I was, I was working in reports, it was really about the human, like there's, there's a human in the field meeting another human and making a connection and getting information. And that was, that was the domain I worked in. Right. And so that's what I brought to this team because they said, well, you've got the relationship with this, with this woman who's there and, and her two daughters. I said, yes, yeah, she's a friend of mine and I'm, and the husband is here in the States. And so I have that relationship. And they said, well, based on you've got that relationship and based on your, you understand the, the military ops world. I mean, tangentially um, and and the intelligence world, like we'd really like you to be the, the um, communication point of contact for this operation. And I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, that that makes it makes sense. And so for me, it was the human. I I was able to use the skills I had in service of of my friend and and uh, and a couple other people we actually helped um, because of the the human connection, my ability to my ability to put myself in, in the shoes of various stakeholder groups and to understand it's like I can talk to my friend who's who speaks English as a foreign language and break down this extremely um, complex and upsetting situation <laughs> for her and, and also meet her where she's at with her emotions mm-hmm. and her husband and the team as well. The team was doing, I mean, it's a very heightened experience. You've got people on the ground literally risking their lives and trying to make sense of the moment and trying to work with people, other people who are frightened and need them to trust them mm-hmm. in order to get um, extricated uh, mm-hmm. from the environment. So it was, so I was there on the ground, like helping people communicate with each other and, and it was it was an amazing experience to be of service and also be able to change in the moment. For example, we had the team. The team was ready to go and pick her and her children up and and extricate her and take her 
take her out and take her to the airport. And the, you know, the, the environment was changing so quickly and they were setting it, the Taliban was setting up roadblocks and it was, you know, things were changing in the moment. So they're all managing that. And, and then they get to a certain place and it's like, it's not safe for us to continue. So they, well, actually, so let me back up. They picked her up, they took her to a certain spot and then it wasn't safe to continue and they had to take her back to the house. Oh my God. Really? <laughs> and so that was like plan B. Okay. Plan B, plan C. And then it was at that point, it's like, okay, okay. It's going to be fine. It's like, this is good. It's good that we step back and reassess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we figured it out that her, her brother who couldn't go because he didn't have a green card or any documentation, he drove her and the girls to a pickup point and the team met them there and he had to be left behind. So there's all that real tragedy going on around and, and there's still an operation in play in personal security. And, um, and that's where we were, we were all coming together as a contributor going, what if we tried this? What if this, what if, the brother can drive they've got a car what if this what if we met here what this is where it was we had that safety to start throwing out ideas in the moment and then the challenger safety it was like well okay what if we do it this way but what if this goes and then we start you know you have to play devil's advocate a little bit yeah yeah it's like we're going to innovate it's like well we've never done it that way before but that (laughs) could work but in this situation so we in the end uh they got her to the airport and they got home and, and, and along the way at the airport, she was able to find an uncle of hers and bring him through the line too. And she was able to get her uncle home too. So oh, wow. yeah. And that was the day before the bombing at the airport. I mean, the timing of all of this is the thing that's so striking to me, right? Yeah. Like there's been several points in this story where if it had been an hour later, even. Exactly. None exactly. of this would have been possible. And there were moments where the, the Taliban was going door to door. And so at one point she and the girls went over to a neighbor's and hid and. All those real-time decisions. I feel like what you're describing is like total group flow. Yeah. Yes. Right? Like where you guys are all contributing to the solution, right? Which is obviously why it's like safety is so requisite, right? As a foundation to high high performance anything. But um, yeah, I remember reading about this in that book, Stealing Fire. Have you ever read it? I think it's Stephen Kotler. He's like one of the four godfathers of flow. And um, yeah, you talked about this is how like the military really cracked the code on all of this uh, group flow thing, right? Because that's what these these special ops teams need because they're making such intense real time decisions that are literally life or death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's something that we're, again, we're still trying to figure out How to do on the business side of things, right? Yeah, and I just felt that the human side of it, the emotional intelligence side of it mm-hmm. was so useful. It was such a, a critical piece because there was one point that the team was 
we were we were working on um, the signal app and they were sharing it's like oh we just you know, there was just this operation because they, they were just curious if I had any insights about this other operations like we tried to pick this husband and wife up and then there was a, a friend of the wife's and she was going to come along and then she got scared along the way and she bailed and she went back home and I'm like why did she do that why did she leave and I said She's out with the Taliban. And if you're out unaccompanied, not with a family member, a male family member, they'll take you and you become one of their wives. So like that to her was a bigger risk than staying, than staying in country. But they were trying to wrap their heads around where her mind was at. And so I was able to shed some light. Like she feels completely exposed. That was a much bigger risk. Going home, being with her family was safer than trying to get out. And that's hard for us to understand. But when you think about, she's a young woman. I get it, actually. Yeah, she's a young woman and her safety has always been her family. Like, well, that's actually really logical. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I want to ask you, Gwen, is like, That perspective and that seeing basically the empathy piece, how do folks access that? Because I feel like often we're caught in our own way of thinking. We're like, that person's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're wrong. You could be in the United States. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it is spending time really being curious, which is so hard because I know I, I say that and I know when I'm, if I'm making a big effort in something, I, I don't, I'm not as open-minded as I should be. I can get triggered by things. I can start go, getting judgmental. That's usually the sign that something's wrong with me, <laughs> like that I'm part of the problem. <laughs> with all of us, I feel like those yeah, are like some that. of the the minute the I get judgy, it's like, oh, no, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm part of that problem now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, how, how could I possibly know what it's like to be a, a young Afghan right. woman? Like, here's, here's her experience. So it's like, how do I bridge learn? That. How do I understand? Mm-hmm. So I think it was, yeah, how do I bridge that? And for me, it was like spending a lot of time in the last few years. Well, it was the early um, exposure to the Afghan culture, but then it's been spending over the years a lot of times with a lot of time with uh, with trying to understand their perspective and how how they're raised. And and people are people are different, of course. I mean, people have different perspectives, but juggling the various perspectives on their roles in family and society. And yeah, so it's, 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 how can I, if I don't understand it, how can I learn it? If I'm judgy, like what's the thing that I need to work on? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm wondering how we, we build a bridge from that experience back into our leaders listening, right? Uh, Experience. Like, where do we start if we want to extract some of what you discovered in this once in a lifetime experience of intensity and high stakes and pressure? Because I kind of feel like that's 
that's the commonality or the common thread, right? Is like that for sure is how a lot of my leaders in the chair feel, especially right now. Like they're challenged with yet another disruption. They're returning their, their people to the office. Right. And like all of a sudden there's a bunch of safety issues popping up in everybody's experience where that's concerned, but where do we start if we want to try to help them with some of what you learned? I think that it's, it's really amazing to have the conversations about what, what's getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing we all agree. We want Mm -hmm. what's getting in the way, like what's allowing it. I mean, let's talk about glass half full. What's Mm -hmm. allowing it, what's creating it and what's getting in the way. And I've, I lead psychological safety um, sessions for, Mm -hmm. I'm certified in it, and I lead sessions for teams. And it's it's amazing how quickly you can get to those core issues for folks about what's going really well with our team and how do we function well. But then when you start to look at getting to the innovation part, Right. And because that's what a lot of companies and firms are asking for in their firm. Right. Yeah. Especially right now. Well, I'd love to do that, but here's what I feel is making it impossible. Mm. Mm -hmm. Then then the conversations get very real about not just what's going on the team, but organizationally, like what's getting in our way and how do we, how do we manage those roadblocks? Are they roadblocks? Are they what are they? What are they? And then how do we, how do we work past them? Mm-hmm. That to me is like, it's having the real conversations mm-hmm. about what, what, what are we doing well and what's holding us back? It's like curiosity again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's the process of ha- having the real conversation, maybe for the first time ever in some cases, like here's right. people in, in sessions, like, here's the thing I've never felt I could say. And it's kind of interesting. Like, here's the thing I never felt I could say before. I'm saying it today. It's like, what is it about what's happened so far that hasn't, hasn't made you feel safe to say it. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it kind of these great unspokens in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Right. And how do we open space for folks to say it the first time? Yeah, it, I think it's, it's, I mean, I really think it's setting, setting the stage for an understanding of what psychological safety really is. Because there's this idea that it's like, it's everybody being nice. Like, <laughs> wow, everybody being nice means uh, many times people aren't saying much of anything. Like I grew up in a- It's too congenial. Yeah. yeah, I grew up in a very nice town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> never, yeah, yeah. Never talked about what was really going on. <laughs> very polite, a lot of pleasantries, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody was talking about what was really going on, and then things weren't always getting addressed very well. It was like a lot of passive aggressive behavior. I have a question though. Like, what if you get in and you start asking these? curious questions, but there's not enough psych safety for them to even want to give you those answers. What do you do then? Yeah. Yeah. That's when it's, I, I'm, I'm usually working with leaders and we talk about that. It's like there, that silence speaks volumes to me. 
Mm-hmm. It's what they're not saying that says yeah, it, right? Exactly. And that's yeah. why, yeah, yeah. I don't just jump in. It's like, I'm working with a leader. The leader has to be interested in it. They have to be ready. Like I try to prepare them for what may happen, even if they think, mm-hmm. oh, our team's really good. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. And this is an even better if, but you might be surprised by some of the things that come up. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of that preparation. And then I've also found it helpful that it it happens over a couple of days because there's what people will say in the, the first session and then they start to think about things and things really sit with them. And it's, and then by a, another session, maybe a day or a couple of days later, it's like there's something that's been weighing on me that I need to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to give it time to marinate after you've planted those yeah. seeds because not yeah. everybody's self-awareness is... yeah going to be primed and ready. (laughs) Right. Or they need to have a conversation with somebody else before they feel like you can say it in front of the group. And I found that with with this team, uh, with the the extraction team, the special ops team, is that sometimes a couple of them would, we'd have a conversation like with all of us. And then somebody would just have a a one-on-one conversation with me because they would just need to connect on something or just they needed to say like, Oh, I just, I don't, I don't feel like I, I did very well with that. Or like, what did you think of how that came across? And mm-hmm. like, they just needed to go to that, the safe place in the team, right. not with the entire team, but what they felt was a safe place in that moment within the team. Yeah. Right. Board. Gwen, I, we still get this question a lot, but about, the remote aspect of it. Like, obviously yeah. you were able to do this halfway around the world. Like, how do you build connection and trust remotely? Yeah, that's a great question because I've done it for so long. And, and you might be really, <laughs> yeah, you might be really surprised to hear, like, I don't, I didn't even see the faces of, of a lot of these folks. I don't know what they look like. That I don't know what they look like. I don't even know the real names of a lot of these folks. That that's powerful. Just even that <laughs> right there. You you know what I mean? Yeah. I and I think it's. I think what what I what I do is like I just I spend a lot of time, not a lot of time, a short periods of bursts, but I focus a lot on connection. And seeing people when I I can't see them, but like thanking people for their contributions, like, oh, that was really helpful. It's like, and using their names, um, using their names, thanking them for a contribution, telling them that I appreciate what they're doing. I just, it's little. Rapport building. Constant connection points. Mm -hmm. Um, It's giving other people credit. It's a, it's telling you, it's like, well, you know, Bill, Bill said this, and that was really helpful to me because it made me think about this other thing. It's, it's looping, it's constant looping in of folks. Mm-hmm. Constant. Mm-hmm. It's yep. like, I see you, I hear you, I see you, I hear you, I see you, I hear you. You're building the bridges. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's how, that's how I think of rapport building, right? Is like one connection point at a time. And you're right. It's short bursts. It doesn't need to be a marathon of. No, no, no. It's like, too much. yeah, yeah. Too much, <laughs> too much. Yeah. 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 But it's that. And it's um, other, there, there's a, a resource I found. I'm sending it to everybody. I don't know if it's useful, but if it is great, it's like yeah. just. Showing yeah. them that you care. Yeah. And some, and a lot of times it's just being the, uh, just a- acknowledging what I think is an emotion. It's like, that's, uh, you know, if there's a, a, something that happened that didn't go well, it's like, Ooh, that, that had to be hard or that, that must feel tough right now. Or, or mm-hmm. yeah, just even a, haven't you been up for 16 hours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to get on your case about you taking care of yourself? Do I need <laughs> to nag you? You know, it's like a teasing, but still acknowledging. It's like, I see you. Yeah, you yeah, you yeah. were on, you were on, you were on the app all night. Like, yeah, I, yeah. like what's, yeah. Are you okay? Who, who, who can relieve you? Yeah. Cause yeah. this is, you know, we're going to be in this for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. I feel like it's it, a lot of it. The human is like, I see you as a human. I see in your humanity. I feel like a lot of this is obviously the space that our leaders really need to be paying attention to right now, you know, because we're three more. Yeah. I just think because like, as we're talking about the disruption and the disruption that keeps happening and inevitably we all know, cause we're in business. If you're in business, disruption is inevitable. Right. But I think like where we started this whole conversation was how do we do this when we're actually in a crisis? Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of feel like this is an opportunity if I could be so bold as to reframe <laughs> the adversity of the, of the disruption is the opportunity is that we understand this more than we ever have in the context of business yeah. is that we actually need to lean in and care about our people being on Slack, right? All night long or whatever the case may be in the corporate context. So I feel like that's a silver lining. I really want to see our leaders out there rip wide open, yeah. you know, because you're, you're, you're making such a strong case for this. It's like we're every single leader is going to need that rapport and is going to need that trust with their people when that next inevitable disruption around the corner occurs. Yes. And if we didn't appreciate that before, hopefully we're in a space now of appreciating it more than ever. Absolutely. Because what, what I didn't know, I when when the, the team got my friend and her daughters to safety, like they, they were, th- I mean, we were all thrilled. Like when she sent us the picture that she was inside the, the CIA station in Kabul, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> 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 we were all Understandably, it's like, yeah. But what I didn't know is that they had been working on trying to get numerous people out and that was their only success that day. So I didn't know what they were dealing with. I mean, in my mind, they were just whisking people to safety all day long. Right. Like, I didn't know how um, demotivated, not demotivated, but um, uh, how, how, what a struggle they'd been through emotionally that day by not being able to get to people, not being able to get to people, not be able to get them to safety. Mm -hmm. Like, and what a huge motivational win that was for them to keep going the next day. Wow. 
Yeah. So we don't know what's going on with other people necessarily. Mm -hmm. And, and it's extremely emotional. And and, and the, the word emotional is still not like embraced in the workplace. No, we're working on it. (laughs) Yeah, But everybody's dealing with emotions of fear, loss, confusion, frustration. Like that's the human condition. Mm-hmm. Or even just a little bit of PTSD from, oh, right? Yeah. Well, or- from the, from the trauma of the last two years, I kind of legitimately feel like that is, has been shared by the majority of the planet, right? Yes. And people are you know, dealing with what's going on with their children. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Yeah. I have so many uh, friends, connections who have had children who really struggled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- yeah, we, we can't ignore it, can we? And now we can't ignore it, business leaders, because it's connected to innovation. Absolutely. I mean, how <laughs> I love about that story. Yeah, absolutely. How can you possibly innovate if you're in any of these other places? You're feeling unsafe and feeling unheard and unseen and, and not valued. Who's going to stick up? What if we? You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> If you don't care about your people, your people aren't going to care about your innovation or your innovation, right? Like they're just not going to engage. They're going to be like, "Eh." yeah, it's not possible. It's not possible. Let that hang. Yeah. Because that's, (laughs) that's the bottom line that we're really trying to empower our leaders with education around, right? It's it's just, it's just not possible. You won't be able, you won't be able to is the bottom line. Right. Exactly. So many good tips in this in this story that I feel like totally connect to what we've been riffing on this mic, you know, in regards to over the last two years, eh, buddy? Absolutely. And it's right in the last point, the data backs it up, right? And there was that recent article that Amy Edmondson posted that with diverse teams you still need inclusion and psych safety to increase performance. Otherwise it actually drops. Yes. And we can kind of understand logically why, because the dominating force takes the lead and then Mm -hmm. you lose the other, basically the other perspectives of that diversity. Right. And, that's where I've wanted to be, even with this proud challenge that we started last week's episode with, is very much about perspective. And it's about seeing the other side. And even these people who, you know, your bad boss or that person in your family you don't like, yeah. they're struggling with something too. Absolutely. And that's where you can unlock their perspective. You can unlock them. Gwen, before we jump off here, if people really resonated with you, they want to follow you, where can they find you? Oh, they can uh, email me at Cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R, at coopersolutionsllc.com. I would love to engage with folks on this topic. It'd be absolutely my pleasure. And thanks. Thanks so much for letting me tell my story. It was an incredible story. And also we'll <laughs> drop Gwen's 
LinkedIn in the podcast notes. So if you want to connect with her there as well, she is on there. For us, absolutely, please subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. And for all things leadership development and everything else we offer, including speaking, psych safety, talent optimization, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com. Susan, any words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with? I'm just so happy that Gwen came in today with this awesome story. I mean, oh, I, I'm just so, so, so fired up because this is something that we're still struggling to make the case for with, with a lot of our leaders, right? Like making this, we see it, obviously, because we study this. But this connection between psych safety and growth itself and innovation, and that is what every leader out there is thinking about right now. So I'm just so grateful to you, Gwen, for helping us really solidify that case for our leaders. My pleasure. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I love it. And for me, where I want to leave people with is what Gwen said in the middle of the interview. We had to leave our egos at the door. Mm-hmm. Without that, we cannot innovate. We cannot throw out a crazy idea. We can't be in a place of innovation wow. and flow and connection because we're worried about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're worried about what if we say that and someone judges me? What if we say that and it's wrong? What if we say that and whatever? Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest key for everyone out there is this understanding of you. Mm-hmm. So get out there and start understanding. Gwen, thank you so much for joining us today. You. Thank you, Gwen. Pleasure. Lovely to see you both again. You too. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back on the next time you have an incredible operation. (laughs) (laughs) And folks, everyone listening, you know, Gwen just told us you can reach out to the CIA on LinkedIn (laughs) and get your operations done. Make a request. (laughs) Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.